From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right. If you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right. Speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Sacramento, California, and currently residing in San Francisco, California. He is the content strategy manager at Gong.io. Please welcome Devin Reed. Welcome to the show, Devin Reed. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. If you don't moonlight as an announcer on the weekends for like, you know, semi-professional wrestling, uh, you, you might be missing out on a check. Funny story. I have actually this year dabbled into uh, ring announcing for the M- for uh, amateur MMA. <laughs> I mean, I've got an ear for talent, clearly, and you, you have a voice for it, so that's awesome. I knew today would be a good day. I didn't know I'd get such a great intro on a Friday. I'm <laughs> a great start. All right, so he is Devin Reed. He's the content strategy manager at Gong.io. What is Gong? Well, they enable revenue teams to realize their fullest potential by unveiling their customer reality. Gong has a patented revenue intelligence platform, which captures and understands every customer interaction, then delivers insights at scale so that revenue teams can make decisions based on data instead of opinions. They have over 700 customers on their roster. They've raised over $68 million in funding. They are up to over 200 employees as of this recording. And they've got customers like LinkedIn, HubSpot, and PayPal on their roster, amongst others. And Devin here is the content strategy manager. Today, we are talking with Devin about one thing that Gong, I believe, does phenomenally well. And when I reached out to Devin, I was like, I would love to talk to you guys about this if you're willing to discuss. And he said, yeah, of course. And that is that Gong absolutely dominates the market with their content. And Devin is at the helm of that. So just sort of as an abstract, uh, Devin, can you just let our listeners know when you think of content in terms of a marketing and sales function, why is it something that is important the company should focus on? Yeah, sure. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's, if you ask 10 marketers that you'll probably get a few different answers. Um, it's kind of just depends, right? Like depends on what stage you're at. But for us, our thing is, you know, if you put really good content out there and it's actually helpful and where I come in most of the time is entertaining, um, people will flock to you, right? And people will start to kind of get in your sphere of, you know, what is gone? What is going on? What are they doing over there? Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, wow, this is really cool. Hey, maybe we could use their technology. And then, you know what? We should definitely use their technology and we should look at a competitor because all those aforementioned interactions, right? So that's kind of like the funnel of like 
how we go from no one knowing who we are to very aware. Um, and that's just the goal. We just use, a, you know, various contents. Again, that's, uh, you know, channels from video to blog posts, research-based data, uh, and just trying to get folks uh, aware. And honestly, the, the goal first is not to promote Gong. It's to help salespeople be better. That's always why I make every single piece of content. And uh, I think that's what people really love. We are going to dive all into the Gong content creation process. Before we do, let's learn a little bit more about you specifically, Devin. Now, you've got a pretty sure. lofty background in only you know several years in the workforce, but let's put all that to the side for a second. <laughs> I want to know who's your favorite rapper of all time and what's your favorite rap song of all time? Uh, yeah, that's an easy one. That is, uh, so I'm from Sacramento, so I'm a big West Coast rapper, uh, not rapper, but rap fan. <laughs> Um, uh, and so ice cube go to no, no ah. question. Um, I have, so is today a good day? Things. That's my next question, I guess. That's so <laughs> it depends on my mood, right? If it's like, if I need to get pumped up, it's like, um, you know, it's probably a Tupac song. I'm trying to think of which one off the top of my head. Uh, actually, you know what, if I'm kind of like in the mood, it's uh, still Dre by Dr. Nice. Dre. Nice. But if I'm, if it's 5 PM today and I'm cruising home, it's uh, today was a good day by ice cube. So I go back to him for those vibes. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Here, now here's a question people don't get often when it comes to rap music. And it's one that I really like asking. Cause at least I know I have an answer for it. That's probably why I ask it is, uh, yeah, of course. what's your favorite beat of all time? Not necessarily song, but your favorite beat. Um, you know, gin and juice is tough to ah, not bob your head in the first eight count. It's like, you know, right. you hear the I don't know, bubbly or whatever the gin and juice they're pouring up and you're just like, why when that beat drops, you just start bobbing your head. And it's <laughs> like, I just got 10 points cooler by putting this on. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Mine is uh, Shook Ones Part 2 by Mob Deep. Because whenever yeah. I hear that, I'm just like, when that hi-hat hits, it's just like, oh. Yeah. You know, it's not like pump up. In the, it's not like bob your head in the same way, but it's just like, shit's on now kind of thing yeah you like put your like puffy jacket on and you just kind of do the like back and forth you can't really see me i don't see my yeah. camera you're doing this like this like side <laughs> shuffle of like nothing can yep. hit me i'm impenetrable yeah yep 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 now uh rapping listening aside have you ever dabbled in rapping yourself uh, not too much. A little in college. Um, I had a little makeshift studio and it was less that I wanted to rap and more that I wanted to be a songwriter. Oh. Uh, I just loved rap and I was like, rap is really cool. I can't sing. Uh, so I was like writing songs that are sung, you know, or it's kind of weird to me. So I was like, but you know, I love listening to Jay-Z. I love listening to these writers. So I was like, you know, maybe writing would be cool. And then I just like got a keyboard and then I got a beat pad and then I got Pro Tools and then I got people from my community college being like, yo, let me give you some money and I'll come by and record my song. So then I started engineering and then I was <laughs> like, this is really fun, but I'm in Sacramento and there is at the time no music scene, especially for sure. underground hip hop. So I was like, this is a fun hobby. Um, and I probably will never be a rapper, um, but <laughs> or even in the music industry, but I was like, you know, the concept of like making audio was always really interesting to me. Um, whether you're making like a beat, whether you're like recording someone and like altering their voice, just making a product that is audio based, I think is really powerful. Well, it's interesting that you talked about how you really gravitated towards the songwriting because now a lot of what you do is writing, but in a different capacity. Right. And one could argue you're building the quote unquote songs of Gong, no rhyme intended. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now, Getting into Gong here, you actually didn't start out as content strategy manager. Right. You were initially on the sales team, um, helping expand the mid-market. So can you talk through, which I actually think is a benefit, right? You've seen the sales side of it, which helps you create the content side. 
But like, if we flash back to your life working on the sales team at Gong, can you take, tell, tell me, like, what is probably the one or two biggest lessons you learned in that experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was the second sales hire at Gong. So there was the VP of sales and an existing uh, sales rep. Uh, it was the second one. It was all of us in a room. If you could see, I can probably in a seven by seven room because I can almost touch uh, every wall here. <laughs> and that was the room we were in. We're like all next to each other. You're probably bumping elbows, typing an email. Um, and, and it taught me a couple of things. I think one was like, you have to be confident when there's no playbook that's tried and true, right? It was like, you know, of course my VP had like a slide deck. He's like, we've closed a few deals. We were um, less than $2 million ARR at the time. So like very new. And we didn't really have a playbook that you could just give to, you know, give to Raj and be like, Hey, run with this and you'll, you'll be fine. It was like, this is a path at best. It's definitely not a road and like you need to pave it. So it was like, okay, let me be creative. Let me, you know, I had to log everything. I was like meticulous and being like this email worked once I'm trying it again and again. Now it didn't work. Why? You know, calls I would li obviously with gone, we can listen back to our conversations. So I was just listening to everything and like, when you have a small sample size of five, your first five demos, your first 100 demos as a company, um, you know, there's, you, there's a limited amount of patterns you can find, right? Cause you could, you could see, Oh, this worked with this one VP, but he was actually in media not tech. And that's why he didn't like this. And he should have liked that. Right. Right. So you need to be really mindful of like what you replicate. Um, so I would say just kind of gave me uh, a good lesson of like, you got to be creative, which I'd love to do. It was, it was rad to like get like, get a playbook that was relatively empty and I got to write it and people would trust me to do that. Yeah. Uh, I think the other part was, you know, just confidence in my sales ability. Once we got to the mid market phase, if you ask, you know, a lot of tech VPs of sales and they have segments like SMB, mid market enterprise and, and above most of the time, the team that's struggling is mid market. I mean, because people define it differently. Sometimes it's 250 to a thousand employees. Sometimes it's 1000 to 5,000 employees. So like a mid-market rep at one company could be a very different skill set uh, than another in terms of, you know, if it's more SMB or not. And so it was cool to be, you know, kind of start from scratch, got a new pipeline. The aforementioned rep went over to that team with me. Um, and we just like banged our head against the wall a lot of times. We lost some deals that were definitely winnable. And we won a lot of really key deals that are now, you know, 100,000 plus contracts here uh, a year or so later. So I would say like in, in summary, it was like, kind of gave me confidence, confidence both that I could be creative and I can figure this out. And then the other was that, you know, I, I can, I can really hack it as a sales guy. I'm actually pretty damn good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it shows too, right? You ended up scaling up that mid market, um, client, <laughs> client roster and playbook as well yeah. as I believe you hit the $1 million sales quota yeah. clubs or not quota, but $1 million in sales club, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So given that, tell me then, and, and the transition to content strategy manager is pretty new. We are recording this on November 1st, 2019. You actually only shifted to the content side in July of this past, of this same year. And yeah. when you're doing so well on the sales side, why make that shift then? Yeah, it is a question I have been asked by many salespeople, uh, especially when they see like, dude, they hear like new hires would come like, I've listened to your calls. I've seen that you like you hit the hundred, you know, the million dollar mark. But like, what are you doing? Like, why did you leave? <laughs> Things are so good here. Um, and, and really, the best way I can describe it was, um, I, like I said, I've always wanted to be like a content creator. Um, and, and so to to take kind of like a slight step back in terms of why was like around the time I started at Gong, I had this like 
know, I don't know, am I really a writer? Can I really create content professionally instead of like people telling me I'm funny at making memes mm. or you should be in marketing because I say some clever one-liners, right? I'm like, you know, maybe that's real, maybe not. So about six months into Gong, once I kind of you know, had my feet set, I knew what I was doing. I, uh, I think it was like January 17. And I was like, you know, I'm going to start a freelance. I'm just going to start seeing if people will hire me. If they'll pay me, if they'll pay me to write for them, then I'm professional, right? That's like the definition. If you get paid to do something, I think. Mm -hmm. and then I'm like, okay, cool. And then if at the end of the year, if I'm putting in 10, 20 hours a week on top of my sales gig, that shows me that I'm actually committed to this. It's not a phase. It's not just that I wanted to be a mean guy for six months and then I'm over it. It was like, I really want to do this thing. So uh, I did it from January to December, made a few thousand dollars, nothing crazy. And was like, Hey, I think I actually really like this. Uh, I've got a few clients. I grew my client base relatively easily. I think I have what it takes. So then I started going to marketing at Gong and being like, how can I be involved? Like, what can I do? So I like wrote a blog and I was like, okay, that's easy. Like now what? And then that's when I came up with, um, Gong Labs Live, which was a weekly show on LinkedIn Live uh, with our now CMO and Chris Orlop, who was running content at the time. So I had this idea. I actually wanted to launch a podcast and that got twisted into a, a LinkedIn Live mm -hmm. TV show. So it was like from audio only to live video, which are very different. Um, and then it, it was like really successful. And then I think it just showed our marketing leadership and our CEO like, hey, this guy has what it takes. It's things successful. It's cool. And he's still hitting his number and he's also doing this other program. So like, let's like, you know, when, when later when I asked for the shot of like, Hey, I'm ready. I, I want to move out of sales. Uh, you know, again, by uh, eight months ago or so now, like how can we make it happen? Uh, it wasn't like, okay, let's get, you know, let's like go through this long process of like, do you have what it takes in these conversations? Cause we've already been working together for six or so months. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. Sure. And so, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, that's to me that I think, I think that's a really smart way to go about it, to essentially build your case over time, not only to prove to others, but prove to yourself it's something you actually want. Uh, I, I just in terms of career development, I think that's a fantastic way to go about it and a really good piece of advice for others who are growing in their careers. Now, let's talk about Gong content. You, know, you mentioned um, the Gong Labs Live on LinkedIn. Now, actually, here's where I want to start with this. A lot of sales teams, a lot of companies in general are obsessed with lead generation, mm -hmm. but typically more so through the cold email, cold call, cold outreach route, right? And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. People should be doing that. There's a lot of things good with that. But what I see happen, happen at a lot of companies, especially a lot of younger companies that are growing, perhaps, you know, take Gong through two, three years ago, not that you did do this, but a company that was at that stage at that time. Um, a lot of those stage companies, they're so focused on the direct leads, the direct leads, the direct leads. So it's invest in cold call, cold email, cold outreach, and they push content to the side. So can you make the case for us why content in addition to lead generation, direct lead generation? Sure. I, I think I'll take the other approach of why people don't do it. Uh, and then we can kind of maybe backtrack, sure. but I think it's like, Hey, you have a, if you're, especially if you're a startup, you have a finite amount of time and resources. And by time, I mean, you have time to put these resources into play and make something out of it. Right. And so it's like one, if I give I don't know, five SDRs, right. And I say, Hey, here's your toolkit, go get these amount of meetings. I can attribute the pipeline very easily from the amount of calls that they made to what type of meetings to what that deal size was and how many calls we need to make to get to these deals and hit this quota with content. It's kind of twofold. One, a lot of people do it really poorly. So it just never pans out and they go, why would I 
write a bunch of blogs and no one's going to do anything with it. That's because they suck. And it's not a knock on other marketing teams. There's tons of bad marketing out there, B2B and B2C. The other thing is a lot of what I do isn't always going to be, hey, this Fortune 500 company read my blog or heard my podcast and then they reached out and wanted a demo. Mm. It doesn't always happen, right? right? But they might have read my blog and then forgot about Gong for a month and then gotten a cold call and been like, oh, you know what? That's right. I actually really like that thing. Let me take a call. But you can't attribute that, right? You give sure. it to the SDR, which is fine. They, they did the outbound, right? It's what my job is, is to provide them with these warmer conversations. Sure. But when you start to look at scale, it's like, how can I give Devin, let's just say a million dollar budget for the year for content when I can't specifically link that million dollars in the content it produced to the pipeline at the end of the day? Because marketing attribution either just isn't there or these young startups don't have that ability. Sure. So it's like you have to have, why you should do it is you have to one, do it really well and have some sort of indicator, whether it's vanity metrics or just general lead flow, like something is coming from this. Right. And the other thing is like, does your company value brand? Like, do you really believe in what a brand value can deliver? Right. Cause it's how do you like, there's a bunch of conversations where people go, Hey, let's get a call recording software. And they go, let's look at gong and two other people. And there, I know there's conversations where people go, dude, no, we got to look at gong cause love their content, love yeah. what they're doing. They've seen their event we're not in those meetings to hear that, right? Yeah. We get anecdotal evidence once they buy. They go, oh yeah, Devin, by the way, I read your blog for six months before I let you guys have a meeting. I don't get quote, right. credit for that, <laughs> right? But it's like that. It's like a faith-based marketing sure. plan, which probably just made 10 people hang up the podcast. But like, <laughs> seriously, it's both. Like, You have to have some sort of metrics, obviously, but it's like you have to have faith that and just belief that building a brand and having value there will win you battles that you're not necessarily directly tied to. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's tough to say, I know a lot of entrepreneurs have heard this, but it really is, it's embracing the long game mm -hmm. and yeah. knowing that, it, it, I guess in the same way, it's very similar to outreach. You're going to send a hundred outreaches and two of them will hit, right? right? Direct outreach or 10 of them will hit. In the same way, you'll create content, X number of people will see it and a very small percentage of that will convert maybe immediately another, another small percent will convert six months later, a year later, whatever. So I think, yeah, there is what you said there is like, there's a lot of reasons why you should focus in the other area. But at the same time, your, your final point there was if you believe in the concept of building a brand, because that's what people are going to buy into at the end of the day anyways, yeah. then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, Gong, let, 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 I wanted to get into the weeds of the process here at Gong. You guys have been producing some monster content for the last probably two years. I started noticing it roughly a year ago. And that's what, I mean, to, to your point about like, oh, I've been hearing about Gong forever, right? Like that's what led me to reach out for this podcast was I had been reading the content and consuming it in different mm -hmm. fashions for so long. So Gong puts out blog posts. You have LinkedIn articles. You have the LinkedIn live Gong, Gong Labs live series. You have pre-recorded videos. You have webinars. You had the Celebrate conference recently, which you were able to host an MC. Can you kind of take us inside the gong war room? And what I mean by that is like, where does it start? Do you come up with a concept of like, we should, we should create content around this? Or are you thinking platform first? Or are you thinking type of content first? How does it, how does it all begin? Sure, sure. Um, I will give away a few trade secrets here. So anyone listening, I promise that this works. Um, but it's also like the creative process is like, what works for you might not work for me, right? If you're like a prolific author, and I'm like, oh, I want to write that best that uh, bestseller. How do you do it? 
well, what works for you might not work for me, right? So I'll take you through the creative and the strategic process. So one, um, for some reason, and I don't know if I should give my dog credit, but when I'm walking my dog after work, it's when some of the most creative ideas come to me. Uh, I don't know if it's like walking meditation or what's going on there, but like, it will just be something funny. Like I did a video of, uh, it's called man on the street. What do you think of salespeople? And I got my camera guy. We went to the Embarcadero. This was all just like, I thought this would be hilarious. There's no value yet. This is just funny. And I was like, let's go to the Embarcadero in San Francisco and just ask people what they think of salespeople. The Embarcadero has this like far, like farmer's market market type thing. So like these people just bought something, mm -hmm. literally have receipts in their hands. So I was like, had like 10 questions lined up and we just went up to people and we're like, Hey, do you want to be uh, in my video? And they're like, no, <laughs> damn it. And like nine <laughs> out of 10 people were like, didn't want anything to do with me. So like that was a challenge on itself. I didn't really think about, I also went to a lunch spot at like 1150. So like everyone's like on their way to lunch on a Friday. Sure. I would have, I would have curved myself too. But I was like, this is going to be funny because people are going to say really negative things about salespeople. And that'll be a good laugh. Cause we all know that we can be pushy and annoying sometimes, or they'll say really nice things. And it's just going to boost salespeople morale. It'll just be kind of a cool thing. Uh, so we went out there for a few hours, recorded it and we got both. And it came out to this hilarious video of me just going around like half struggling and half getting like really interesting, um, like answers from people. Right. And so the whole concept of like, okay, that's fun. What, what did that do for you? It was one of our most popular videos that we've had. And we had tons of people follow us on LinkedIn afterwards, which was one of our metrics that we're shooting for. Mm -hmm. So starting just creative, not strategically, it was like, how can I just get attention, right? LinkedIn has fantastic organic growth. Salespeople love this. If you can get in their trust circle and they like you, they will share. So I was like, let me just create something they'll think is cool. And I honestly thought would be funny. Uh, and so that was one route, right? Like just getting awareness. So I'd say that's kind of like the brand building, right? No one sure. downloaded anything. I didn't get any leads out of this. Sorry, I got no leads. Mm -hmm. But I think it's that brand value. The other part is when I look more at like um, our segments and our lead needs. So we have like three main segments, enterprise, SMB, and mid-market. And so it's like, okay, who needs leads? How are we doing on the inbound channels versus outbound channels versus event marketing, which is typically a little more for the upmarket folks. So then I'm like, okay, if we need to get directors and above of sales in our, I don't know, mid-market and enterprise, there's my goal. Those are the leads that I need in. Where are they and how do they consume information, right? Webinars are fantastic for us. If you need a lot of leads, we get a thousand or 2000 people to sign up, but you don't always get a lot of VPs of sales, I would argue, checking out webinars, right? They're on them, but they're not watching them. Sure. typically. So it's like, okay, maybe we should, and, and that's kind of your thought is like, focus on the goal leads in a specific uh, you know, pipeline, in a specific vertical or a specific segment, and then back channel and go, or excuse me, back, uh, go backwards and just think, okay, how can we get these people engaged? Is it going to be a funny video? Is it a research-based blog post? Let's look at the data and see what we've pulled so far, right? So then it's like, well, can, let me stop you right there. Sure. When you're looking at, okay, where are these people? How are they consuming information? Are you just kind of just doing general Google searches or are you using specific tools for this? What, how are you deciding, hey, this is what we've determined. These people hang out and this is how they like to get their information. I would say the first one is we, like, we have like Marketo. We have like a ton of uh, you know, tools. Our ops guy just pulls up reports for me and I can be like, hey, show me this. What emails worked? Who, mm -hmm. who signed up for this masterclass? Who didn't, right? So I can get a pretty general sense of what type of content our personas are engaging with. And that's now, if you don't with. have the Marketo budget, essentially, is there sure. a dumb version or a dumbed down version to be able to figure that information out? 
I mean, the reason I'm successful in this role is because I've been a salesperson for six, seven years, right? So I'm, I am my target audience. So like, that's what is kind of my, my X factor. But if you're a 15 person startup, a 20, you know, hundred person startup, and you're selling a finance software, go ask your finance person, how do they consume content? What do you hate? What do you love? Like buy them lunch for an hour and just like grill them and understand them. Yeah. It's a small sample size, but you'll get a sure. good feel. That's good. That's good. If you're at the 15 person startup and you probably don't have a finance director yet, go on LinkedIn, find some, ask them to for coffee, right? People will love to help you. Like just interview people and then you'll start to get a feel of someone's like, like if you interview a VP of sales, he's gonna be like, oh, I've been on 10 of them. Like, oh, you do a lot? No, I'm a panelist. I never sign up for them or rarely sign up for them, right? Never, never, but. And so it's like, okay, well, if I need a hundred or a thousand VP leads, throwing a webinar might not be your best bet. Right, but throwing an executive, I don't know, dinner in Toronto, which we've done, that could work, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to get these people in the the kind of medium that they prefer. Sure, sure, and that, and and that's interesting because that, I think people wouldn't traditionally think of throwing an executive dinner as quote unquote content, but it is really like brand building, right? Which is what content's role is. I think content is anything consumed, really, like in terms of like, not like food, obviously, (laughs) but like, you know, the content of this restaurant is incredible. Yeah, it's fire. (laughs) Uh, But you know what I mean? If it's like, hey, what if you got like your your raving client, you know, a fan that just loves you in New York, right? And you get two other clients that like you and then five prospects and you get into a dinner and maybe there's like a quick presentation that they give and it's not even about your company. It's like, you know, hey, here's how we're looking at conversations in 2020. Or maybe it's just networking, right? But that's there's like a theme to it. Um, to me, that's content. It's in sure. a different. It's in a different, more like modern form. But people love live events. People love networking. Don't just try to you know jam you know screen time on them and try to get them to read your stuff and watch your stuff. Like there's a million other ways out there. Sure. Well, let's let's so let's take an example with like you know I often see the articles on LinkedIn, right? And something in your research says, hey, a lot of our audience, I mean, I don't think that's rocket science, but a lot of our audience that we're selling to spends time on LinkedIn. So yeah. we're going to write a LinkedIn article on this. So you, you create, you figure out what they want to hear. You, you realize, okay, we're going to write something on LinkedIn about it. Now in that post, are you writing it in a way where you're saying it's going to be here, but now we're also going to parse this out and, and put it on this platform and we're going to make we're going to make a sales deck out of it. We are going to make a blog post. We're going to make a webinar, all that stuff. Or are you just looking at it as one thing, seeing how the market reacts and then deciding what to do with it? That's a great question. I would say the latter, unless you know you have a home run concept. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I think it's like, you don't want to put the uh, cart before the horse and I need to find a better uh, analogy for that. Now that we're about to be in 2020, I think we can leave that one behind. Maybe but, put all your eggs uh, in one basket. <laughs> yeah, even better. Although it's we're not necessarily basket. collecting eggs anymore. Either, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so it's like, you know, come up with a really good idea. If I have a hit on LinkedIn, if one of my articles blows up, now I know I'm onto something and then maybe I can expand it and make it a webinar. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I can make cut it into 10 pieces of short form content and put that on social media and, you know, drive more traffic or just provide a tip, right? If I wrote a thousand word article and someone didn't read that or maybe they skimmed it, but I could take the best line and I make it a you know meme or just even just like a pull quote on LinkedIn, that could also do really well, right? People sometimes don't want to give you five minutes of their time. They're just going to social media for a distraction, for quick, you know, uh, dopamine release of some entertainment. And if you can get your quote or your, you know, your tip or whatever and you go, oh, I like that. 
whether they actually double click or not, that's that brand awareness, right? That's so they start to say, oh, Raj got some good stuff going on over there. I want to. I'm actually going to be okay when he, you know, sends me an email or you know what I mean. You're kind of like warming up this this interaction, even though you didn't really know. Uh, you weren't really quote unquote there when they engaged with you. Right. Right. And I'll tell you, in my own experience, my two biggest customers this year have come from. Uh, I mean, content was the source of it. Uh, one of them yeah. started with an ebook that I wrote, which I think I sent to you on. Yeah how to use case studies and cold outreach. I liked it. The other one was it was a direct prospecting effort, but using content as the initial message. And I don't know if I've showed you this before, but mm-hmm. my, what goes out in my first messages for prospecting is a video I made where I redid the Fresh Prince theme song, but made it about yeah. startup hype man. Right. <laughs> that's right that's and so right. like that attracts people. And that's what led to my biggest customer, you know, of, of, in the entire life of my business was that video as the, as the source material. So I, I definitely know how, how helpful this can be on that ebook side of things that I mentioned. I, and I, I told you this, I told Chris Orlov this, who was the previous uh, content strategy manager. I was like, guys, I love the way you write. And I just like mirrored that in how like the information's different, but the style of yeah. writing I yeah. decided to borrow. And I think it works because when I'm reading it and, and to give it to let everyone know what we're talking about here, the way Devin, you're writing content, the way Gong in general writes content and articles is it's, a lot of one and two sentence paragraphs, like maybe a three sentence paragraph, but there's like blank space in between and the sentences are punchy. Is that something that you guys internally came up with and said, this is how we need to write? Or did you, did you see it working somewhere else and decided we were going to do that too? I, so I admittedly stole it from Chris. I was like, I went to college as a English major so I'm like, MLA which is the exact trained. opposite, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, MLA trained. I remember like a year or two ago seeing these single sentences pop off and I was like, people are liking this shit. Like this is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is blasphemy. I can't believe anyone do this. I refuse. I also refused Kindles and like, uh, you know, audiobooks for a while too, uh, to show you how, to show you how narrow minded I was. But then I was like, but damn it, if I don't read them all. Like I'm reading them, right? Like I can hate it while I'm doing it just for principle. But then I like talked to Chris and he was like, one, it's for mobile. People are reading on mobile, make it easy. Like it's really, no one wants to do the pinch, you know, the right. pinch pull to, uh, to read a paragraph. So I was like, okay, that, that makes that's like a good, you know, it's so that. interesting. I never thought of that being a driving reason is because a lot of people are reading it on mobile. Okay, on go a ahead. Desktop, oh, a single line on a paragraph on a desktop or your laptop, when you put it on a mobile screen becomes like three lines, right? Like, right, right. So now you're already two sentences. You're like a, a full screen and everyone's right. like, ah. And, you know, the feed, quick sidebar, like, uh, you know, the scroll culture, as I call it, is like, we're used to flicking quickly, yep. right? We're used to like quick, quick hit, quick hit, keep going. Yep. Um, and I think that's what people want when they read too. They don't want to get stuck on a long page. Okay. And then long page. Okay. So right. anyway, that's where I got it from is, is I just kind of stole it from Chris. And then the, the goal of it, and I've heard people kind of also like question it, right? Like, oh, you're just doing it for this. You're just doing it for that. It's like, we're all just doing it for that. We're all just doing it for reads. Like, yeah. whether you put is anyone a, a doing it a hundred percent, like benevolently just, to, just yeah. for the good of mankind? <laughs> yeah. And if you are, you're probably a horrible marketer because it's for you and not your audience. Right. So, uh, so I do, I, I do lean that way for a style, but the key, and I always tell people is like, you're not writing one sentence paragraphs. You're not taking your essay and making it enter, 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 and make it one line. You're writing it in a way to pull you to the next line. Right. right. It should be like, Hey, here's this thing you thought was true. Yeah. Well, what do you think I thought was true. Right. And then you just keep going down. Well, and let me, and I'm going to read just from a, a recent article you posted 
on LinkedIn that follows. I'm just going to read for everyone the first four lines of it to prove that point if it's pulling you to the next sentence. So the title of the article is, An Army of Champions is a Must and Now There's Data to Prove It. And here's how the article starts. You know that tingly feeling you get when your buyer has interest and budget? Line two. I've been there and I remember one time when everything was lined up and ready to sign. Line three. Then poof, my contact vanished in a heartbeat. Line four, she was unreachable for days, then weeks, not a peep. Turns out she left her company without warning. And right, as I'm reading that, I, I can't help but want to see what's next. Right. <laughs> and that still hurts because I remember that deal. That's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> now, and I, well, yeah, I would hope that if you're writing that, that it's a true story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the best writing comes from some of my deepest pains. Uh, yeah, and that, well, I, that's actually you say that in jest, but I think that's that's a big thing that a lot of people are missing, right? I think we always want to come off as expert one hundred percent of the time, but you yeah. can prove expertise by showing when you failed. Well, yeah, like how did you get that expertise? Oh, right. I screwed up a lot, <laughs> and it's like no one likes to go to the you know talk on podcasts. Oh, here, here's the ten times I screwed up, but if you go, hey, here's why I'm decent or good but I got it because I messed up all these times. You want to learn from me? It's like, yeah. oh, I can relate to that, right? I want to learn yep. from that guy. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, sometimes in my sales conversations, people ask me like, oh, like, how did you get into this? Like, what makes you an expert at this or whatever? And I'll, I'll say, I, I used to work at a digital agency that became a SaaS while I was there on the sales team and I was terrible. The only reason I hit my quota is because someone left the company just before their deal got signed with it with like, it was like a 300K deal and they had to give right. it to someone and it came to me yeah. and I got, the, I got the quota for it, right? right. And I was, but, I was, but then I transitioned that to like, but I was always figuring out how do I get better and I always knew I hated the sales deck we were using. And so any spare second I had, I spent trying to work on mm -hmm. it. I would send my ideas to marketing, et cetera, et cetera, right? And that, right. I think you're right. It, it humanizes you and it makes you relatable in the process and it shows that, it, it shows the path of how you got there with like some real effort on your end, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one wants just like to be talked at, right? Yeah. We all know the people on LinkedIn that are like, I've gotten 25% response rate. This is how, if you're not doing this, then you're doing it wrong. It's like, cool, dude. Like yeah. I'm unsubscribing. I'm unfollowing <laughs> you. Like it's just not the realm. But if you're like, man, I like kind of the example I took not to like, you know, boast my own stuff. No, but please. Like, if you start with the problem of like, man, I had this deal. Thought I was going to close. I'd already bought a new pair of Jordans because I was so sure it was coming in. And then I got ghosted and mm -hmm. then the deal died. And then I missed quota. People are like, and then what? And then what, what happened after that? What happened? And it's like, well, here's the, and then I'm like, here's the data that proves this is a thing. And like, here's what you can do about it. People are much more receptive to that. And they're not like, oh, Devin's talking at me. It's like, oh, this guy like knows something and he's down to share it. My last question here before we wrap up is, so to this point, we've talked about how to create the content. In your mind, there's one, one way to like just pretty much get outside, literally, mm -hmm. to, or get into some zone that helps you be more creative to think of ideas and, and don't limit yourself. It could be something off the wall that's good. Sure. From there, look at the specific segment you're trying to target and ask and do research on where do these people hang out and how do they like to consume their content and create on the platform slash location they like to be in and in the style they like to consume, whether that's a post or a video or a webinar or whatever. And one way to find that information out if you don't have advanced software is to just find a couple people in your network who are that, you know, that buyer 
Mm-hmm. Take them out for coffee and just ask them about the way they like, just do an informational interview about content essentially. Yeah. Um, you then mentioned you like to build for one platform. If it performs well, then you look at how can you parse this out onto other mm-hmm. platforms or other avenues. My final question on the topic is the promotion side of it, right? Hmm. Gong content hits well. I don't know if you guys have some backend partnership with LinkedIn where they're like, hey, anything Gong puts up, it's going to get boosted. But I know a lot of people will put a lot of effort into writing a long LinkedIn post, for example. And then because of the algorithm, there's like one like on it and one comment, and it's probably their friend. Now, I have my own way of gaming the system, which is built-in engagement with like five people who are who we all just commit to do comment on each other's stuff. Yep. But what is, what do you recommend on the promotion side of it? And how do we get over the, the quote unquote algorithm? Yeah. The other, the algorithm is like this, uh, the enemy we all love because we need it. Uh, I always like, and I'll go back to our hip hop reference is for every you know, like new hip hop artist you hear about, we get like what one or two a year, right? Someone mm-hmm. has, a, has a big hit. Uh, there's probably a hundred that are better that you never hear about. And it's not because the content isn't better. The con- their songs are better, right? Maybe your content is better. But if no one hears your music, if no one hears or sees your content, then you're out of luck, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. So it's like promotion is just as important as the execution or distribution. Um, so that's kind of why I say that. And that's why uh, I probably have an affinity for the, the young hip hop stars because I know they did, they did some hustling. They had to promote did. themselves, right? They didn't wait for the yeah. label. Yeah. Like that's tough, right? And they have no, they don't have a marketing engine and resources of gong behind them. They're just some guy right. or a gal. And so for us is no, there's, a, I would love that LinkedIn partnership you mentioned. If anyone from LinkedIn's hearing this, uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> let me know. But I'm surprised. Uh, no, I honestly thought that's what was going on on the back end was they were just like <laughs> LinkedIn and gong or buddies. And then we're just going to boost everything you guys write. Mutual clients, mutual friends and fans, but uh, no, they don't, they don't give us the Not mutual algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not yet. So uh, no, it's, it's a few things, right? So like, honestly, like I won't list the whole thing. We don't have time, but there's articles online. That's like top 10 ways to beat the algorithm. Go look at them. There's a bunch of things. Um, I would say, yeah, the content network that you mentioned is huge, right? Cause the one thing I'll, I'll share right away is the initial engagement that a post gets determines if they put it on the next person's feed, mm-hmm. right? So if it hangs out on your, if it hangs out on your, uh, you know, you post something and it hangs out there for a day and it gets 10 likes going to die overnight. It's no, they're not going to see that's getting traction. So yeah, get, you know, get a couple friends, get a couple co- colleagues and just be like, Hey guys, I just post, posted this. Can you just give it a quick like and a share or a quick like and a comment? Right. Yeah. Cause once you get a little bit of a, it has that snowball effect where LinkedIn goes, Oh, this is kind of uh, this is heating up yeah, over people here. Like this. Let's put in a few. Yeah. Let's put in a couple more people. Oh, a couple more people. And now mm-hmm. you've got a thousand likes and you're like, Oh, this is like, I did it. This is it. Like, this is the one. But I've also at the same time, don't, get too caught up in that because I've written things that have been crazy successful and I've tried to copy them multiple times and they just don't hit the, they just don't hit the fan. Like it just doesn't take off. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like this, like I call it an evil because when you, when the algorithm selects you, you feel like a God and you're like, this is awesome. I'm great. And then you write the same thing 10 times <laughs> and you don't get picked up. You're like, is it me? Is the algorithm like, am I good? Like what's going on? So it, it is, it's a bit of a battle, but, uh, I think you're on the right thing with the network. Now, before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find Gong, learn more about Gong, and potentially find and learn more and get in touch with you as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, go to LinkedIn. That's where we, we live and breathe. So follow Gong on LinkedIn. We have, uh, if you like some of the writing that you shared, you know, go check it out. We also have uh, a monthly Gong Labs 
which is like we bring some new data to the market, share a story around it and how it can help salespeople. That's kind of uh, uh, one of our best performing um, and most popular piece of content. Uh, and then you just follow me on LinkedIn too. I'm always posting stuff, uh, not always about Gong, just about kind of uh, the ins and outs of sales and just productivity and all those good things that people like to check out. So that's the best place. My final question, which is how we conclude every episode now on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Now, I know you are not an entrepreneur yourself, but I think a lot of the things you've done in your career have been very entrepreneurial. So I think you'll still be able to answer this question. It is a fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Taking a bet on yourself. That's my motto. If you, if you think the window is open, if the door is there, man, just go take it. You can always, you can always backtrack. It's a lot harder to uh, reopen that door. I like that. Taking a bet on yourself. He is Devin Reed, the content strategy manager at Gong.io. Devin, thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thanks, man. It was great. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple podcast page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown too yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do This a dance with the devil bro. And if you can't get it loose Then they fall into the truth It got your hell in Yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Instead of sundown This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do this a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get a loose, then it's, it's a dance with the devil.